0: Go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You are listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Wow,
2: and Crusaders! America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday! Thanks for being here. Got an exciting show today. Uh, honestly, I didn't know where to start. Um, I think, I think this is the most important thing. We'll talk about Hillary's health. Um, I'll just tell you this. I have a friend. I can't tell you his profession, but when I tell you what he knows, what he told me, then it, you might be able to pick up on it. Uh, let's do that next hour. Oh, that, that'll be my tease for the next hour. I will, I will give you a, a something that no one's heard before that will be national news before the election. And and so so everyone will know this story, but you'll be the first to hear it. We'll do that in one hour. Flip, if you can remind me to do that at the, the next hour, that'd be superb. Um, but I do want to start here. I think this is important and not enough people are hearing this. And I don't know. I, I think everyone, depending on where you're coming from right now, will, will hear these clips differently. This is Stephen Moore. Stephen Moore speaking at a private meeting at the Council for National Policy. So if you don't know Stephen Moore, you you probably do. He he used to be the uh, head of the Wall Street Journal editorial board. Currently, he's a fellow at the Heritage Foundation. He is as good as it gets when it comes to free market economics. You cannot be happier than having Stephen Moore be Donald Trump's advisor on economic issues. It does not get better than that. Trump's top three economic advisors are Stephen Moore, Art Laffer, who was Reagan's advisor, Laffer Curve, if you've heard of that, and Larry Kudlow from CNBC, used to be CNBC. Those are Trump's three economic advisors? That's incredible. You can't find three better guys to be advising him. Now, I want to play a bunch of clips here. And as you hear more of Stephen Moore, you'll know that Donald Trump's not just paying these three guys lip service. These three guys have incredible influence in Donald Trump's uh, policies and hopefully presidency. And if that's true, you can't, I, I know I've said it four times already, you can't do better than this. All right, so I want to play this. This is the longest clip we're going to play. It's three minutes. But this is Stephen Moore talking about uh, Trump's just bigger economic plan. And there's there's one line in here which throws away old Republican branding and ushers in a new Trump Branding, same issue, same topic, same end result, except with this type of marketing and branding, it will actually happen. Eleven forty-seven.
3: And after seven and a half years of a president who wouldn't know how to run a lemonade stand, I think it's just a great thing to put a put a businessman and employer in the White House. I really do. I think that's just a cultural thing. Um, and uh, so, so, number one, that is really important. Uh, number two, uh, I laugh when people say, you know, Trump is going to, you know, uh, increase cronyism. Look. I got to say this. I live in the belly of the beast right in Washington, D.C., as many of you do in this room. The political class in, a, in, in Washington despises Donald Trump because he's a threat to the, to the cronies, And I, can't, I don't think there's a single lobbyist, and I've done a number of speeches for Trump with the, you know, these lobbying associations in Washington. They hate Trump. He's a, he is a complete—he uh, is—he is an ind- endangerment to them because what Trump is is—he's is like uh, Uber to the taxi cab industry, right? <laughs> I mean, he is a disruptive force. And my God, look—we need a disruptive force in Washington. And I, I don't want to offend anybody in this room because I know a lot of us, like me, live in Washington D.C. But when three of the four wealthiest counties in America are in Washington D.C., there's something damn wrong with this country. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Uh, he's not going to do this himself. He's he's brought in the three of you and. Uh, well, the, he brought general... in the
3: most important conservative in the country, or one of the top five, in Mike Pence. I love that guy. Okay. I would do anything for him, and that's a big deal. Mike Pence is awesome. I mean, uh, he's fantastic.
4: Well, I'm going to keep giving you these softballs, okay? No, okay.
3: right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Hit me hard. Come on. Hit me. <laughs>
4: I no, mean, but who else is he surrounding himself with? General Meese, who's who's here, is president of C M P yeah. always says personnel is policy, is. and I know Heritage is working with the campaign to identify people to come in and staff the agencies and that, mm-hmm. and all that needs to be done. Who, what what are his instincts? Of, I like his instincts so far. Yeah. But what well, are, I'll tell you this. I mean, the single, what I've discovered is the single most important person
3: kind of whispering in, in Donald Trump's ear, other than his kids. And by the way, I mean, the fact that he's got such great kids is a wonderful thing. I mean, Ivanka, I think, is, is an amazing asset to him. Um, but I'll say this, that, that I would say the single most important policy advisor that Donald Trump has right now is Jeff Sessions, the senator from uh, Alabama. And my God, I mean, you want to talk about a stalwart conservative. You can't do much better than Jeff Sessions. Right. So what Sessions has done is he has infiltrated the Trump um, you know, operation with conservatives in the key positions. So uh, the guy who's sort of the chief of staff, as you, if you will, is a guy by the name Stephen Miller, who was the chief of staff for uh, for um, Jeff Sessions. So you're going to get good people. You're going to probably, you know, like Newt Gingrich is probably going to be a high-level position. Um, you know, I love the idea of, of uh, you know, My goodness, we just heard from Ted Cruz. I love Ted Cruz. But, you know, one of the big concerns has always been, you know, who he's going to put on the Supreme Court. And, uh, you know, one of the things I want to lay your concerns, if you look at those 11 people that he, you know, suggested, those are all people that were suggested by the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation. So you can't get, you know, much better than that list. We could
4: have have the most conservative court uh, in history. Uh, We have to talk about immigration. Yep. <laughs> Immigration. Well, look,
3: um, I'm, a, I'm a pro-immigration guy. My, most Let me, let's stop me for there years, for a little bit. That may I'm, be the
2: wrong clip. I think that's my fault. I may have given you the wrong uh, number, but that's okay because uh, that's still a good clip there, and it still proves one of my points about who he's surrounding himself with. You got Mike. So I don't think people give Mike Pence enough attention here. There's no way Mike Pence could win the nomination. He's way too conservative. Like if he was the running for president, there's no way he'd win. Way, 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 way too conservative. And then Jeff Sessions, Jeff Sessions could only be the senator in Alabama. That's the only state that could elect him as senator. And these are the top two guys. You know, obviously one the VP, and then one his top advisor. That's incredible. And then you get these three economic advisors, and then Newt and Rudy. All these you couldn't put together a more conservative group than that. So. It seems, it seems, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems clear to me where you have Hillary Clinton, you know who she's going to surround herself with. You know, there's no doubt about that. And Trump, I mean, you could say, well, it's 50-50. He could surround himself with strong conservatives or he could surround himself with a bunch of squishy rhinos, a um, bunch of moderates, middle-of-the-road guys. He hasn't so far. By no stretch of the imagination could you consider any of the people he surrounded himself with as squishy moderates. So if you're a strong conservative, I think that you have to rest a little easy. At least so far in his campaign, and I don't see why he'd be any different once he's elected president. He has only surrounded himself with the top conservative people in the country. That's something, isn't it? I'd like to hear. Listen, I was a Cruz delegate. McCruz delegate in California. I was a Cruz delegate. If I had my druthers, he'd be the nominee. But if anyone else other than Cruz had to win, all I can do is pray that he would surround himself with the people who Donald Trump has. That can't be nothing. Because he could very easily surround himself with Mitt Romney like people. And and do the whole middle of the road, rhino, you know, get along with everyone. We're gonna be you know, not really believe in anything, kind of middle of the position. But he hasn't at all. Let me give you an example of this. So I I think I said, I think I I, my fault. I think I sent the producer wrong sound clips. Um, There is a clip I do want to play. Maybe we don't need to, because I can just explain it. But Donald Trump has changed the marketing on one specific issue. Do you remember this line? And I haven't heard it in a while, but how we need to be energy independent. Have you heard that before? I know you have. We're going to be energy independent. Okay. So we're gonna pump more oil, drill for more oil and natural gas, and use more coal, and we're gonna become energy independent. That's a nice line. It's not technically possible because there's world markets, but anyway, it's it's a nice line. We're gonna be energy independent. Do you know what Trump's policy is gonna be? Same thing, right? It's everything. We're gonna use. We're gonna become the Saudi Arabia of, of energy. On every other element. of all right, We're going to get as much energy as we can. So we're not just going to be energy independent. You want to know how Trump has decided to change the marketing of that policy? He's going to say, and wait for this, we need to be energy dominant. Energy dominant. That's, it's, it doesn't have just Trump written all over it. Right? It's power, strength. Warrior alpha male. Make America great again. We're going to be energy dominant. What's Hillary going to rebuttal with? Um, uh, wind, windmills. More wind energy in the future. Trump's going to say, what are you talking about? I want energy now. And when we drill for more oil and natural gas and use more coal, then there's going to be millions of more uh, jobs for truck drivers and pipe fitters and welders. And you want to know what the type of people who take those jobs? People who live in the Rust Belt states. And this is how Trump wins the Rust Belt. Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania wins those four states, and the whole thing is done. That's it. Literally, if every other state holds from 2012, meaning Trump wouldn't have to win Florida or any other state. If he wins all the states Mitt Romney won and flips Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, then Trump wins the election. We said this... (laughs) four months, three, four months ago. And I made a video about it on Facebook and people just laughed and laughed. And laughed. Oh never win Pennsylvania. He's down by fifteen. He'll never win Michigan. Michigan hasn't gone Republican since nineteen eighty eight or whatever. And here we are, I think he's he's down in Pennsylvania and Michigan by two or three points or something. He was down by fifteen. Now he's down by nothing. Okay? So and it's trending in that direction. He will win the rust belt states. He's way up in Ohio. He will win the Rust belt states and he's gonna push it over the edge with an energy dominant policy can't beat that 188 93 and where do you get that policy you get that policy by surrounding yourself with strong conservatives and then you have Trump's branding on top of that that's what makes it a reality and compare that to the old squishy rhino thing which was like oh well we need um, you know all of the above we, okay we'll invest in uh, you know grass and then we'll, more grass for ethanol or or Switch blade grass for biofuel. No. Shut up. Coal, natural gas, oil, energy dominant. Let's win. As good as you get. One eighty eight, nine hundred, thirty-three ninety-three. More from Stephen Moore coming up next. Mike Slater show the Blaze Radio network brother word.
5: This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Slater. All
2: right. I want to play this clip here again. This is Stephen Moore talking to the Council for National Policy. Stephen Moore, Art Laffer, and Larry Kudlow are Trump's three economic advisors. I got a a tweet here from Noel. He says, Slater, I'm listening live today. Enjoy the show. I've listened for a long time. I disagree, but I pray your view on Trump is correct. Uh, I I do too. No. And I listen. Who knows? Right. But doesn't it mean something? I'm just being totally, genuinely curious doesn't it mean something that he surrounded himself with those three guys? Because he easily could have surrounded himself with anyone. And he's done these three guys without any fanfare too, which is interesting. He's not, he's not like, hey, conservatives, look, I got Stephen Moore and Art Laffer and Larry Kudlow here. And then it would almost be like, well, are you doing that just so you can say that? Or are you actually surrounding yourself with these guys? Cause you, you know, you respect them and trust them and are going to follow their advice. He hasn't said it that he's, that these are his advisors. So it seems like, he genuinely trusts these guys. There's no, I mean, Ted Cruz would have done that. So that's good. Some of the other candidates probably wouldn't have surrounded themselves with these three uh, as, as conservative as these three guys. So gosh, even if you hate Trump, you got to be encouraged at least by people like this surrounding him. Let's play this clip again.
3: So you know the tax cut. Just quickly, we're going to cut the corporate tax to fifteen percent. You all know we have the highest corporate tax in the world. It is an abomination. We're going to fix that. We're going to uh, the average family is going to save about fifteen hundred dollars per family in their in their um, in their taxes. We're going to limit completely eliminate the the uh, death and estate tax in this country, which should have been done a long time ago. Um, Steve Forbes said it very well 20 years ago when he ran for president, in this country there ought to be no uh, policy of no taxation without respiration. I love that line. We're going to use that one again. Um, so, uh, so we're going to do that on the tax code. But you know, look, can I mention one other quick thing, Bill? On you know, The other area we have a sharp contrast with, with uh, Hillary on, uh, you know, where she's over here and he's over here, is on energy policy. Mm-hmm. And this, to me, this is one of the great issues for the Republican Party, the conservative movement. I mean, the Democrats have sold their soul to a radical left-wing environmental green agenda that is completely um, hostile to what middle-class people uh, want. And you know what we're finding, I've got a book out on this that uh, just came out a few weeks ago, that if we get this right and we promote American energy... Um, and I'm not talking about building windmills. I'm talking about using our coal and our oil and our natural gas and our nuclear power. Within five or six years, the United States of America can be, and Trump is going to say this in a speech, not only can the United States be energy independent for the first time in 50 years, we can make the United States of America, this great, great country of ours, the uh, the, dom- the energy-dominant country in the world. That is to say, we can be the Saudi Arabia of energy for the next century. And that, that's not just good news for growth. I think we can raise the growth rate by just 1 percentage point alone through a pro-American energy policy but in addition to that you're talking about you know 6 to 8 million more jobs those are jo- what kind of jobs are those trucking jobs Construction jobs, engineering jobs, pipe fitting jobs, welding jobs. Those are the kind of jobs that are held, and many of those are union jobs. I think Donald Trump has a great chance to go to these industrial unions and say, I'm the one who wants to expand the jobs for your unions. It's these lunatics over here like Tom Steyer and Hillary Clinton who want to put you out of business. I have to say, Bill, I've been in politics for 30 years. I have not seen anything more um, offensive um, and arrogant from any politician that's saying a lot then what, remember when what hillary said about coal miners i'm going to put every coal miner in this country out of business every single donald trump should yeah, should have that um that i'm going to put every coal miner in business and she's not going to stop with coal miners she wants to put oil and gas workers out of business as well so that's a big big part of the agenda All
2: right. beautiful the facebook video we made like maybe two or three videos ago. by the way the last facebook video we made is now at 1.3 million views which is pretty cool but the one we made, I think before that, uh, we gave three pieces of advice to Donald Trump. And one of them was, I think advice number three, uh, only talk about things that can't be denied. And an energy dominant policy is really something that almost everyone disagrees with. You have the radical fringe left and then you have who believe, you know, don't believe that. And then you have some people who think that that's what they should believe, but deep down they really don't because it makes no logical sense. Just talk about energy alone, and how everything will be cheaper, and there'll be millions more jobs, and the union jobs, the union guys will love it, and the Rust Belt guys will love it, and it's it's a win-win-win-win-win. Like just focus on that. And Hillary's got nothing to respond with. I want to play one more clip on this break. Eleven forty-nine. sir.
3: You know, let me start with one answer to that question, which is, this is really important. Um, we as conservatives don't believe in career politicians. We, don't, uh, we believe that politicians are a means to an end, not an end among themselves, uh, in and of themselves, although they believe they are the end uh, uh, in and of themselves. Um, Donald Trump is a businessman. And you know what? He's an employer. And after seven and a half years of a president who wouldn't know how to run a lemonade stand, I think it's just a great thing to put a, put a businessman and employer in the White House. I really do. I think that's just a cultural change. Um, and uh, so, so, number one, that is really important. Uh, number two, uh, I laugh when people say, you know, Trump is going to, you know, uh, increase cronyism. Look, I got to say this. I live in the belly of the beast right in Washington, D.C., as many of you do in this room. The political class in a, in, in Washington despises Donald Trump because he's a threat to the to the. Cronyists. And I can't, I don't think there's a single lobbyist. And I've done a number of speeches for Trump with the, you know, these <laughs> lobbying associations in Washington. They hate Trump. He's a, he is a complete, uh, he is a, he is an ind- endangerment to them. Because what Trump is, is, is he's like uh, Uber to the taxi cab industry, right? <laughs> I mean, he is a disruptive force. <laughs> and my God, look, we need a disruptive force in Washington. And I, I don't want to offend anybody in this room, because I know a lot of us like me live in Washington, D.C. But when three of the four wealthiest counties in America are in Washington, we'll D.C., there. there's we'll something stop there. you damn get the point. wrong with um, this country.
2: I want to chat about that couple more points of Stephen moore i'm getting a ton of twitter feedback on this i want to talk about why a lot of people saying they don't agree with me they disagree with this i'll explain why people are feeling that we'll do that next spread the word
0: this is mike slater part of the next generation of talk radio on
5: the blaze radio network Mike
2: Slater, Slater Crusaders. So this is fascinating. So, playing this clip from Stephen Moore. He's giving a speech, uh, closed door speech, National uh, Council for National Policy. We got audio of it, and Stephen Moore is a so former Wall Street Journal editorial board, Heritage Foundation guy. Now, as free market of a guy as, as you as there is today, you got him. As an economic advisor, you have Art Laffer and Larry Kudlow. These are his three economic advisors. That's incredible. Right? These are as free market of guys that as exist in the country. I want to play two more clips here. I'm getting a lot of feedback on Twitter on just the two that we've played already. People against Trump. Very, very, very against Trump. And I just want to say this is a Ted Cruz guy, which I'm assuming you are too. Trump is not the perfect candidate. He's certainly not our savior. But if you hate Trump, it's fine. But you have to be encouraged by the people he surrounded himself with. Rudy, Newt, Pence. And again, these uh, Laffer, Kudlow and more. If Ted Cruz was the candidate, he could not have surrounded himself with more conservative people than Trump has. So that's something. Now, I'm not saying you got to bow down at the altar of Trump. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's now our savior. I'm not saying he's the greatest person in the world. It's funny how we, we think it's got to be one of those two things. You have to either hate him or love him. And you can't just be like, well, I don't really like him, but hmm, it's, it is good that who he's surrounding himself with. That is something like. I'm just asking for people to come down on that position right now. Like, okay, I don't like him, but well, he chose to have Cudlow Moore and uh and Laffer with him, Reagan's advisor. You can't do better than that. And it's so interesting, people who are upset. Um and, and it's because a lot of never Trumpers have already decided to never Trump. <laughs> so anything that comes along. That if anyone else did, would be great. Like if Ted Cruz had Larry Kudlow and Art Laffer and Steve Morris as his economic advisors, you'd say, well, that's amazing. But Trump does the same thing. And you're like, oh, whatever. No, no. This is great. I got time for two more clips. Um, let's do ten, 7, 6.
3: Is that getting to his ear? It's a great point. And remember, we were chatting a little bit about this, Bill. I mean, the other area we haven't talked about yet, which is huge, is the regulatory state. And, um, you know, it's funny. I'm on this thing called the Trump Leadership Council, and it's it's an organization of about – there's about 25 or 30 major – industry leaders uh, the men and women who run the great companies in america and you know these are energy companies and transportation companies and uh telecommunications companies, technology companies and so on and at our meetings and we always meet we, we meet about once a month with donald trump and he sits there and each person has about two or three minutes to talk and what shocked me about these meetings is listening to these business leaders and they almost to a man and woman they say the same thing yes the tax code is an abomination we have to fix it mm-hmm. you know but you know what they say is an even bigger problem it's the regulatory state, right. and it's just strangling our businesses in every single area. And uh, so, the first thing we're going to do—the first thing we're going to do about this—is just have a regulatory freeze. The day he enters office, we're just going to call a halt on new regulations. That's number one. Number two, you're going to love this. We are putting a list together, and we need your help, by the way. If if you guys can get us the information, we want a list of about fifty to a hundred executive orders that Obama has passed that we can we can repeal on the first day in office you know 50 you know as many of them as we can and with a strike at a pen because Obama has so many illegal Executive orders. If we come in and repeal those, that's going to be like a, uh,
4: you know, uh, an injection of uh, performance-enhancing drugs right into the economy. We, so. we 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 talked about this earlier. I'll get to your question in just a second, but we got to talk about Obamacare. Yeah. What he wants us to do He's to replace repeal. it. Okay, but what's it going to replace it with? A
3: market-based health care system that puts patients first, that that allows interstate competition in health care, medical malpractice reform, uh, medical savings accounts. I mean, we're going to do the whole kind of conservative program. We're working with Heritage. My my good friend, John Goodman from NCPA, has put together a good plan. It's going to be – look, we can cover everybody in this country with health insurance. And we can do it at a fraction of the cost and provide people much higher quality of care. I mean, the other reason Hillary is going to lose this election uh, is that Obamacare is just coming apart, right? I mean, it's completely falling apart. It's a huge embarrassment to the left. I mean, this was, how many of you in this room are saving $2,500 on your health care? And I'm not a single
4: person.
2: Does that make you trust Donald Trump anymore? Now, nah, maybe it shouldn't. Maybe it shouldn't. Maybe Donald Trump has Stephen Moore on his team just to appease people like you and me. Maybe Stephen Moore is getting scammed himself. Maybe Trump will get into office and double down on Obamacare. Maybe deep down Trump really likes single payer, but he's, but he's talking about re- repealing and replacing uh, just to trick you. Maybe this whole thing's a scam. Or maybe... He's a great delegator, and he's going to say, "Hey, Stephen Moore, Laffer, Cudlow, get a team together. You got 30 days. Give me three proposals on healthcare reform." Thirty days go by. They give him a proposal. He picks the one that makes the most sense. Gives it to Newt. Gingrich goes around whips people in the House and Senate to make it happen, and we got true healthcare reform. It's one of those two, right? Why else would he have these three? And these three economic advisors and other people as conservative as they are surrounding him, it's either a scam or it's or it's what he's actually going to do, right? It's one of those two, isn't it? Like, do you really think Donald Trump's gonna surround himself with these guys and then when he's elected, uh surround himself with a bunch of uh you know, John McCain's and Mitt Romney's and Lindsey Grahams? Maybe he will. I don't know, call me naive. I think we got time for one more clip. Let's go 11. Uh sorry, 1075.
3: One well, other quick story which is, you know, two weeks ago I was in the uh is it in the doctor's <laughs> office uh and waiting, you know, in the waiting room and uh Uh, My phone rang, and, of course, I had to do a radio interview. So I I went into the corner of the waiting room trying to be unobtrusive and and did this little political dialogue back and forth with Laura Ingraham and got off the phone and went back and sat down. And this young black gentleman in maybe mid-20s came up to me, and he said, oh, I heard you talking about politics. And he said... uh, what do you think about Barack Obama? <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's an interesting question. And look, I didn't <laughs> want to offend this guy, so I just said, well, you know, he's not really my cup of tea. And he said, oh, okay. He said, well, what do you think about Donald Trump? And I, whenever anyone ever asked me that question for the last year, I've always thrown it right back in their face and said, I don't know, what do you think about Donald Trump? And this was, this was just a, such a beautiful moment. And this, this young black man, he goes, that's one of this. Like that, and he goes, whispers in my, in my ear, I kind of like him. (laughs) And this is what's, I think, interesting about what's going on, and that I think we as conservatives have to realize. I mean, Trump is putting together a new coalition, and it is a working... And I love... It goes back to my original point. It is a coalition of working-class people or patriotic, great Americans who feel like this country is completely out of control right now, socially, economically, in every way that the left is, you know. And it gets to your question about, is Donald Trump going to be contaminated by all the Washington insiders? And the one thing I'll say about Donald Trump, is you mentioned, he is a street fighter. He's a New Yorker. And if anything, he's too much of a counterpuncher. He's got to learn when to not uh, punch back. But you know what Donald Trump knows? He knows who his enemies are. And his enemies are these left wing groups that are going to be out here next week, you know, trying to shut down the city. Um, He's going to put he's going to put an end to that.
2: So I don't know the exact face that that young man made. But I imagine it's like the face I get a lot uh, from a lot of people, uh, mostly professionals whom I meet. And they ask me what what I think of Donald Trump. And and I'll do the same thing. I'll spin it back around. I say, "Well, what do you think of Donald Trump? And what they do is they they do this move where they they look around, they peek around their shoulders and then they lean in. I kind of like him like it's one it's what it's got to make sure no one's really nearby. And then they won't admit it out loud. It's got to be in a whisper. So I said about a year ago, I think Trump's going to win in a landslide. Now, this was before I wanted Trump to win in a landslide. But uh, I think he will. And I still think so. There will be a moment when all of the polls have him in the lead, all the national polls. Now, we've said a million times before that the national polls don't matter. Because it's not a popular vote. It's an electoral college. So only the state polls matter. And also, if you're looking at state polls, only look at the polls that are that have likely voters, not registered voters. Uh, because it only, it only matters if you actually vote. So, so likely voters are the, is the more accurate poll. But um, national polls don't matter. Only matter to get a temperature of the country. But the, in the end, it doesn't matter. It's the states that matter. However, when Trump leads in all the national polls, which will probably be in about two weeks now a lot of this depends on the debate next monday but when trump starts leading all the polls forget it, it's it's going to be an onslaught from that point forward just and here's why right now the the vibe of the country because of the media and the left is that if you support donald trump you are a bad person You are electing Hitler. You are a racist and all the rest. But once all the polls have him in the lead, what that will do is it'll give people almost permission to like him out loud. It'll give people permission to like him verbally without having to look around and see who's nearby to see who might overhear you. And when all the polls have him ahead... People will more proudly tell their friends and say out loud to pollsters, "I am also voting for Donald Trump." Let me just say it like this: It's a lot easier to say, "I'm also voting for Donald Trump," than it is to say, "I'm voting for Donald Trump." You with me? Do you see the difference there? To say, "I'm voting for Donald Trump," is a little bit like, "I don't want to be the first guy to." But once all the polls have him in the lead, then it's like, "Oh yeah, I'm also voting for Trump." That's going to be the deciding moment whenever that moment uh, happens. Now, let me be clear. I I kind of mentioned this a second ago, and I know Mark Levin mentioned this a couple of days ago as well. To vote for Trump does not mean you agree with everything he says or everything he does, and you do agree with everything he will ever do in the future. Our latest Facebook video, I I talked about why I disagree with his child care policy. I think he's super arrogant, and you have to be humble in order to be a a truly uh, transformational leader. So I got major problems with an up and down. And maybe that's why I really like this Stephen Moore audio. Because I'm looking for more reasons to vote for him. And surrounding yourself with these guys, it's a pretty good reason. It's certainly better than Hillary, you know, who she's going to surround herself with. There's a really great TED talk from a couple years ago. It's about how to start a movement. And it shows a video of a guy dancing at a concert. It's uh, somewhere like a festival concert. So it's a big grassy area. And everyone's sitting down. And this one guy gets up and starts dancing like a crazy person. And everyone's looking at him because he's a weirdo. And then like a minute in, another guy joins him. His first follower. That's the guy who has guts. The first follower... Is the most important person. Because that follower transforms the lone nut into a leader. The follower is the most important. Then another person joins in. And then another person. Well, now it's a crowd. Five, six, seven people are dancing. Well, now it's news. Now it's a movement. Why? Because it's less risky. The first person to join the lone nut. Very risky. Very, very risky. Because that one. That that loser out there by himself. He, he's going to get ridiculed. So if you go with him too, you might get ridiculed, ridiculed too. Very risky to join him. But each person after that, it's less and less and less risky. So to all the people on the fence with Trump or all the people who hate Hillary and but don't like Trump and they're like, how would I do? Or you're like kind of voting for Trump but you don't want to. When all the polls have him in the lead, it won't be risky to join in. Right now, it's a little bit risky. But when most people are dancing with him, well, if you keep sitting on the fence, then you're the person left out. Then you're ridiculed for not joining. It changes that quickly. And that's what's going to happen with Trump. When he's down by a bunch, it's pretty risky to like him. When the media keeps uh, you know, calling him racist and all this stuff, it's pretty risky to say you're going to support him. It's risky to say it out loud. But when more and more people follow him, when he gets above 50% in all the polls, well, then it's not risky at all. And then it's a movement, and then it's a pile-on, and then it's a landslide. And one way to do that, and this is what we'll talk about coming up next, the next hour, is Hillary Clinton is trying to convince the American people that she's not going to pass out any given day. Meanwhile, Trump goes on the Dr. Oz show with his daughter and says that women shouldn't need a prescription to get birth control. (laughs) So who do you think won the day there? Who do you think earned more votes? Hillary Clinton lying in bed or Trump talking to middle-aged women, stay-at-home moms watching Dr. Oz? 50 more days of that he's got in the bag. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
0: Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment
6: One of the greatest travesties this country has ever perpetrated is when we started taxing people's Social Security. Is there any chance that that will be rescinded?
3: It's a good idea. I haven't talked to him about that, but taxing Social Security, we should stop taxing Social Security benefits. I completely agree with you. Great idea. I'm going to take that up with him. Who has a mic?
2: Because if you hear Trump say we should stop taxing Social Security benefits, you know where that came from. And then you have proof that Stephen Moore and Cudlow and Laffer are indeed in Trump's ear. And that's important. Coming up, Hillary's health. I want to share with uh, you a story that uh, no one's ever heard before. And it will be national news before the election. We'll do that next Mike Slater show. Spread the
5: word. You're listening to Mike Slater.
0: Part of the next generation of talk radio.
5: On the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, Cyder
2: Crusaders, America's greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Um, I'm hesitant to do this segment because I almost don't even want it to live in podcast form. Uh, but that's all right. We got a couple stories to share here. I cannot give up sources here. So, I mean, just believe me or not. Uh, all I can say is that when I graduated college nine years ago, uh, my friends moved to one of two cities, either New York or D.C. And those friends are in high places or have friends who are also in high levels of government agencies. I'll leave it there. So I have one friend Um I'm going to cut out the first part of the story. The second part of the story is he has access to Hillary Clinton's visitor database. He found there's someone who has visited Hillary Clinton at least once a month for the last six months. There's someone who's visited Hillary Clinton once a month, at least once a month for the last six months. Now I can't tell you his name yet uh, or where he works yet, but I will tell you that he is a doctor who specializes in Parkinson's and he's a professor of neurology at one of the top med schools in the country. Now, You can do that with whatever you you want. Now, I'm not necessarily saying she has Parkinson's, but there's a lot of... you know, Again, he's a professor of neurology, right? Parkinson's just happens to be a specialty, but he's also a professor of neurology, which there's a lot of things that that could be. Now, let's just go down that road for a second. Why would this doctor be visiting her once a month? And did you notice, and Glenn Beck picked up on this when Bill Clinton was like, oh, no, she's fine, but... He goes. All of her doctors say she's great. All of her doctors? What is she? All all the doctors? Like how many doctors do you? Have? Now let's just go down this road of of Parkinson's. One of the side effects of Parkinson's is you have trouble swallowing. Scott Johnson uh, has been a doctor for 19 years. He's an internist. He said he's seen hundreds of cases of pneumonia. He believes Hillary has aspiration pneumonia. I'll quote from him. He says, aspiration pneumonia occurs when fluids and food particles that normally enter the esophagus instead enter the windpipe and lungs. It is commonly seen in neurological conditions like strokes and Parkinson's disease or similar diseases where the nerves to the swallowing mechanism are not working properly. Now I'll tell you this when when Scott Johnson wrote this, he did not know. He does not know. Obviously no one knows except for you. Um, the doctor who's been visiting Hillary Clinton. He says, this is especially worrisome because it is likely to recur the pneumonia given the underlying, usually incurable disease process. And because it can be a life threatening event, right? So the pneumonia that she just all oh, happened to get, cause everyone gets pneumonia, uh, that that's going to keep coming back because uh, she didn't just catch it from someone, right? It's, it's caused from a disease that she might have that is incurable aspiration pneumonia is the leading cause of death with people who have Parkinson's disease. And did you catch this story? If you're listening to Glenn, you did. So what she fainted on Sunday, right? So on Monday, there was a story in the Hill. Hills a DC newspaper newspaper. It's not a tabloid, right? It's a DC newspaper. They wrote this weird story. It was five sentences long and all it was, was saying Hillary's aides say they're super frustrated because Hillary never drinks water. Did you catch that story? That, like, that was literally the story. That was it. They didn't connect any dots, but it, that story is a dot. Why would Hillary not drink water? Why is she not drinking water? What is, it, what is that about? Why would you not drink water? Now, there's some people who are like, oh, I don't like water. but Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, you have to drink water. like, And especially... If, you know, she's having health conditions or whatever. Like you drink water, what's the problem? But she, they, they can't get her to drink water. Why not? Maybe she has trouble swallowing. That's weird that the Hill would write that article. Why would they write that? Why would her aides be like this? That's way. That's listen. I know this is very Alex Jonesy, but if uh, if you knew my source and, and and this, don't worry, it'll it'll come out. It won't be. Um, I'll share this story too. Just because. Are you with me on the first part? Uh, it's story number two. I got a friend who uh, was a former Secret Service agent. And he watched the video of her being taken away in the van on Sunday. He said, Slater, the protocol here is totally jacked up. He said, you always, always put the person who's being moved in a holding room, right? You keep them out of sight away from the public until the van arrives. So Hillary's code name was evergreen by the secret service. So on the radio, they would say evergreen in holding room. And then when the van pulls up, they'd say evergreen departing hold in route to cars on Sunday. She wasn't in a holding room. They were holding her up literally with the post there and everything. On the curb that never, ever, ever, ever happens, which means this was rushed and very bad. Now, here's the craziest thing of all about this. This is no one. I didn't hear anyone mention this. So remember all the lies, right? Oh, what? She didn't. She's fine. Oh, it's A little dehydrated. Okay, fine. Maybe she's sick. Yeah, pneumonia she got like all these lies and a little bit like as, as more and more information leaked out they had to come back with with another lie but like with a little more information in it here's the craziest story do you know who took that video of hillary being flopped in the back of the van do you know who took that a tourist from the czech republic who's a firefighter And he just happened to be in New York City and he said, well, I'm a firefighter. I'm going to go to the 9-11 memorial service. He happened to be walking by her, took out his cell phone, took video of it and posted it on Twitter. That's it. He's not a journalist in any way. He just took this video. He happened to be standing there and decided to take out a video and record it and then post it. What? So think about that because... If this guy, and this this blows my mind, if this guy was 30 seconds late, or his cell phone was out of batteries, or he decided not to film it, or filmed it but didn't post it on Twitter, or didn't go to New York City, or wasn't a firefighter and didn't want to go to the 9-11 memorial, or whatever, it's so many different variables, we never would have known this happened. Never would have known it happened. Because in today's modern age, if there's no video of it, it didn't happen. Because that same guy from Czech Republic, let's just say he didn't take his video camera out. That same guy calls up the news and says, oh my gosh, I just saw Hillary Clinton being flopped in the back of the van. What do you think her people would say? What? No. no. What place? She got in the back of the van and we just went over to Chelsea's house like we were planning on doing anyway. What was that guy talking about? Anyone asking questions, he's a racist or, whatever, or sexist or whatever. Wow. But because that guy took that video, just that guy, they had to come clean. What else? What else is going on that we don't know about? Hillary, I I don't have the the video here, but she was on Anderson Cooper the next day, or phone, and Anderson said, how many times have you fainted? And she did, remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about um, how you can tell when someone's lying, and there's a couple different tells that everyone has. Well, there's like ten tells, and everyone has a couple of them, right? Uh, Hillary, in this one sentence, threw out like three or four tells. It was great. She goes, "How many times have you fainted?" Oh, uh, well, uh, I think, I think only twice that I can remember. <laughs> what? <laughs> what kind of sentence, what kind of response is that? Hey, Slater, how many times have you fainted? Uh, none. No times. Charlie, how many times have you fainted? Twice. Hillary, how many times have you fainted? Oh, uh, uh, I think twice that that I can remember. (laughs) it's a ridiculous answer. So it just happens to be the two times we have video of. Or at least the first time because you went on video, but she happened to, you know, could not be hidden. She hit her head real bad. So if we didn't have video of this never would have happened and it all would have been pushed aside as crazy conspiracy theory stuff so you'll know more about that Parkinson's doctor uh, in the next 50 days but you heard it here 1st one 800 -800 933 93 Slater Radio on Twitter want to chat about uh, the reaction that the media has to all this which is hilarious we'll do it next Mike Slater Show the Blaze Radio Network spread the word
5: you're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Part of the next generation of talk radio. This is Mike Slater.
2: So this won't be the last help related thing my buddy related to the first story i told in the last segment said he would bet money on hillary or excuse me on uh, one of the debates being canceled because of an emergency and it will be hillary's health but because there won't be a random tourist from the czech republic taking video of it uh we won't exactly know what it, right? we, it won't be about her health it'll be a uh, uh plain delay or something <laughs> so uh but it'll be really be health related so Because it will happen again, I think it's worth going over uh, the order of events that the Clinton campaign takes with any crisis like this. David Arsani outlined it very nicely. And it's important to know this in in the very rare chance that she actually does become president, which I don't think she will. But this is how her entire team works. Certainly, we'll see it in the next 50 days a couple more times. And it's so funny. I mean... Barack Obama at least campaigned on being the most transparent administration ever, right? I mean, at least he campaigned on it. Obviously, he hasn't been. But then we go to, from him to possibly Hillary Clinton, who no one believes is any more transparent than a brick wall. But anyway, she's not going to win, so I guess it doesn't matter. But still worth going over. So here's how it works. So for the left, first thing they do, they got to get ahead of critics. They got to get ahead of you. So preemptive sexism is a really good first step. So this is Justin Miller from the Daily Beast on Twitter. Uh, this is all in relation to Hillary's fainting last week. Trump and the right have so lied about Clinton's health that coughing or getting too hot was, is made out to be a sign of illness. Furthermore, attacks on Clinton as unfit without evidence are helped by the deep sexism that women are physically inferior. Okay, so there it is. So if you, if you question her health at all, that is your sexism. That's your deep-seated sexism because you're assuming that women are physically inferior. Even though she literally passed out and was flopped in the back of the van, your commenting on that is your sexism, right? Really good preemptive uh, strike there uh, to a crisis. Next step. You got to say everyone's overreacting. Everyone's overreacting, and then yuck it up. That's about, so. So here's someone on Twitter, capital letters Benghazi, like as if like that's making fun of conservatives. Like oh Benghazi, Benghazi, hair on fire. Like, oh Benghazi, it's just pneumonia, folks. Calm down. And by the way, can we get Trump's taxes before election day? It's a good diversion there too, right? But do you see that that you, like, it's the it's the everyone's going crazy? That's come on everyone, <laughs> pneumonia. Relax. So that's next. Now, you can also do the other side of that, right? You got to cover both. So so you say everyone's overreacting, but you also yourself overreact sarcastically. This is Dave Weigel from the Washington Post. Clearly, we're going to need the select committee on Hillary's health to uncover the long form pneumonia certificate. This is Will uh, uh, Selatan from Slate. Yep. I'm going to go with Zika or AIDS. Okay, right? So you see the two sides of that coin. You got to say everyone's overreacting and then you yourself overreact uh, as well. Okay, next step after that. Because that you can't, you can't just do one of these things. You got to do them all. The next thing, you normalize it. Normalize what happened. You know, like what powerful person doesn't faint every now and again, right? Like what's the big deal? This is what they did with the email server, right? This, this is why they threw Colin Powell into the mix, right? Like, oh, what's the big deal? All secretaries of state set up their own private email servers, right? What's the problem? Same thing here. This is Ezra Klein uh, from Vox. Given how punishing the schedule is and how many people they touch, I'm surprised presidential candidates don't get sick more often, right? So it's like, what's the big deal? They're just sick. Okay, keep going. Now you normalize the lying right so so now that once it was clear that Hillary's spokespeople were lying about it, now you got to normalize that. Kurt Eisenwald from Vanity Fair and Newsweek he said, "Can you imagine what modern conservatives would have done with FDR? He's a cripple. He's dying. He has legobola. right so the the idea here is like, well, we couldn't say the full truth because uh you know people would overreact, just like they would have overreacted if, if, if people knew the tr- full truth about FDR. Right. Is it then you turn her shortcomings into a strength. Patton Oswald, comedian, he says, wait, so Hillary has pneumonia and she's still campaigning as hard as she is? You realize how BA that is, right? All right, so now you make it a strong point. And that's why they came back the next day after they had time to focus group with the power through line. Right. Oh, she's just powering through. That night, 32 times on cable TV, her spokespeople and news anchors used the word power through. Oh, she's powering through. And then they threw in a little sexism there as well, Oh, like all women do. Powering through. you got to power through. Women power through, right? Am I right? Powering through. Got to love Hillary. Powering through. She's famous for power. powering through, you know? Power through. Power through. Right? So you try to make it like her strong point, how strong she is for powering through. I don't know. I saw the video. It didn't look like she was powering through to me. There's one other uh, line from the from Hillary's people, which is pretty funny. She said, They said, uh, and I heard this for like two days, it went something like, well, uh, you know, the public knows more about Hillary's health than any nominee in history. I heard that a couple of times. I said, mm, really? Because John McCain released over a thousand pages of medical records, and he literally had a press conference with his doctors at the Mayo Clinic in
1: 2008. So...
2: All right. So once that came out, a couple of days later, uh, Hillary now says, how's it go? It's something like, well, listen, uh, Anderson, um, I have met the high bar of disclosure like Mitt Romney and Barack Obama. <laughs> I've met the high bar. <laughs> it went from oh, more than anyone in history to I've met the high bar. <laughs> Amazing. I got time for one more. This is the most subtle of them all. Those are all pretty blatant. This is the most subtle. David Axelrod tweeted this. He said, antibiotics can take care of pneumonia. But what's the cure for an unhealthy penchant for privacy that repeatedly creates unnecessary problems? Yeah. Unhealthy penchant for privacy? That's what you call lying? An unhealthy penchant for privacy? So people took that, because it was from Axelrod, as, as criticism of Hillary. They're like, oh, wow, it's really bad for Hillary. Look what David Axelrod said about her. No, no, no. What that was is a way to distract from the specific issue, her health, to something that's bad but better than that. And that is her unhealthy penchant for privacy. Lying all the time. So that wasn't an attack on Hillary. That was a very subtle spin uh, to distract from what's really happened so this is how the cycle works a lot of fun to watch uh incredibly frustrating if you care about uh the the future of our country (laughs) but here's the deal with hillary's health she can't pivot away from it you can pivot away from different things right trump can pivot away from saying stupid things but you can't decide to be healthy and this is not something you can hide for 50 something days left Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
0: Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Oh,
2: so let's uh, let's go over all those those spins uh, one more time here. But but we'll do it with Christina Amanpour. So she had a, a little segment she did, and I saw it on my news feed a couple times. And I was like, Oh finally I'll watch this thing. So I watched it, and it's like two minutes. And it has pretty much every single spin that we just talked about in the last segment, all in this two minutes. It's it's masterful, and the fact that they used all of them means it's pretty bad, right? Uh, do we have that ready? Uh, flip. So I just want to—are we good to go? So I just want to go over these. We'll do a little stop and go uh, again. This is Christina Ammampoor. It, it was—I think I don't know what her official title—is like foreign correspondent or foreign international editor or something. I don't know. She's one of the top top people at CNN. Uh, here it is
6: imagine a world where you can't slow down you can't rest and you absolutely cannot get sick
2: okay so that's the what everyone gets sick now and again excuse the the title of her, her video here is can't a girl have a sick day or two right by the way first off you called her a girl goodness gracious but she can't a girl have a sick day or two right so that's the like what's the big deal excuse All right, you.
6: This weekend, after attending a 9-11 memorial in New York, after more than a year of relentless campaigning, the Democratic presidential nominee, Hillary Clinton, fell ill. And these pictures have boomeranged across the world. Several hours later, the campaign revealed the former Secretary of State had been diagnosed with pneumonia on Friday. But surely this can't be a case of a human being having an off day. Nope. Like so many things, Hillary...
2: Alright, so that's the uh her sarcasm there, that's the overreaction argument. Right? That's the intentional overreaction. Like, surely this can't just be a human being having an off day. All right, keep going.
6: Like so many things, Hillary, the media are having a field day off to the races with another debilitating case of indignant outrage. This must be another typical Clinton conspiracy to fool them with a total transparency breakdown. Talk about transparency breakdown. What about Donald Trump's tax returns? Where are they? (laughs) What? That's amazing. What a hilarious... An awkward change
2: of subject. What are they talking about? Well, speaking of Hillary's health, what about Trump University? And it's like, what? They have nothing to do with each other at all. Next.
6: Can't a girl have a sick day or two? There's- Don't get me started. Because when it comes to overqualified women having to try a hundred times harder than underqualified men to get a break or even a level playing field, well, we know that story.
2: Ah, <laughs> come on, Christina. There's the sexism, right? Earlier we mentioned the preemptive sexism charge. Uh, well, Christina, on couldn't be preemptive because it's after the fact, but uh, it's never too late to throw around the woman card. Um, uh, because if you question her health in any way, you pig, then you're suggesting that women are physically inferior to men. So, uh, you can't question it ever. That's amazing.
6: All right, it gets better. And seriously now, the 14th president of the United States, Franklin Pierce, rose to that role after earning the nickname Fainting Frank for twice collapsing in two battles in 1847. Who can ever forget George Bush Sr. throwing up all over the Japanese prime minister and then fainting at a state dinner? And he oversaw the fall of the Soviet Union and even won the first Gulf War. All
2: right. So that's the normalizing excuse that we talked about. Well, look, even Franklin Pierce fainted a few times. (laughs) Okay, Uh, And yes, George H.W. Bush got sick once. No one's saying you can't get sick. And let me say this, I should have done this as a disclaimer before, I apologize I didn't. If Hillary Clinton came out and said, "Listen everyone, uh I have epilepsy. So it and it doesn't affect anything uh about my job as president or running a campaign. Um it just means I'm prone to having seizures. Uh, a lot of people have epilepsy. Uh you know, a couple million people. Uh Danny Glover had it." Lowayne has epilepsy, Prince had epilepsy, totally manageable. I just need to make sure I wear these blue sunglasses whenever I'm outside because it blocks red uh, light, which can trigger seizures in people. And also please no flash photography um, because that can also trigger a seizure. But really it's not that big a deal. It's totally manageable. And I got amazing doctors who are working with me. And actually when I become president, I'd love to make epilepsy one of my side campaigns uh, to help people out with it and raise awareness so people know that's not a big deal. Like, if she did that, I think, first of all, that's a little bit of the pity card. I think people would be like, oh, wow, not only the first woman president, but the first with a disability, right? And, uh, like, I don't think that's a problem. Like, if you have epilepsy or even Parkinson's, really, I don't know too much about Parkinson's, but Michael J. Fox seems fine, right? So, I don't even think that's a huge deal. I don't know when the Clintons will ever learn it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. When will they ever get that? It's not a crime, to cheat on your wife when you're president, but it's a crime to lie about it under oath. And it's the same sort of deal here. It's not a crime to have epilepsy. It's not a crime to have Parkinson's. It may not even be bad, but it's bad to lie about it and cover it up all the time and pretend you're not sick and pretend it's nothing and call people sexist for suggesting something might be up when they see you being flopped in the back of a van on a breezy 78 degree day. Wow, but but for Christina Alvaport to be like, well, look, I mean, even Franklin Pierce fainted, (laughs) okay? And I love, this is, this happens, this is so great. The only time you'll ever hear progressives praising a Republican is when they're comparing a Democrat to that Republican. Okay, so did you catch Christine Amanpour say like, well, Hillary got is, is sick just like George H.W. Bush got sick once and he won the Gulf War. You would never hear Christine Amanpour say that George Bush won the Gulf War or did anything good in any other context unless they're attaching a progressive to that Republican. Then they'll give that Republican a little bit of a bath. But to compare George W. Bush, I, I don't know why he threw out food poisoning or something. I don't know. Throwing up To what happened to Hillary the other day? That's insane. All right, a few more parts here.
6: Considering the media outrage over Hillary failing to tell them that she had pneumonia on Friday,
2: Okay. Quick stop. The formula this this formula happens all the time, so it's worth mentioning this. When a Republican does something wrong, the story is about the Republican doing something wrong. When a Democrat does something wrong, the story is about Republicans' reaction to the Democrat doing something wrong, right? Once you know that, I'll say it again because I know it's kind of confusing. Once you see that, you see it everywhere. You can't not see it. It's all the time. So when a Democrat does something wrong, excuse me, when a Republican, when a Republican does something wrong, the story is about the Republican doing something wrong. When a Democrat does something wrong, uh, cheats on his wife, sex scandal, whatever, Bribing money, felony charge, whatever. When the Democrat does something wrong, the story is about Republicans' reaction to the Democrat doing something wrong. So same thing with Hillary's health. All the stories I read on Monday, it wasn't about Hillary's health. It was about Republicans pouncing on Hillary because of her health. <laughs> it was about Republicans pouncing, about, about the other media's overreaction to it, but nothing about it itself, And that was a classic example of that right there from um, Amanpour as well, right? It's all about, oh, my gosh, the media's overreaction, but never anything about it itself. All right, last clip.
6: Consider the media actively shielding some great American presidents, agreeing, for instance, not to show these photographs of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, whose polio kept him confined to a wheelchair. But did that stop his New Deal for America or winning World War II? And then there's everyone's favorite president, John F. Kennedy. Now, he saved the world from possible nuclear Armageddon during the Cuban Missile Crisis, called for a new frontier in space, and generally inspired whole generations around the globe. While the press kept secret his painful struggle with Addison's disease, leading the world in sickness and in health, if the boys can do it, why not the women? (laughs)
2: Oh. <laughs> how lame how lame again about FDR and JFK's health issues we're not saying you can't have health issues the question is does your health issue affect your job as president polio did not Addison's de- a disease which um, JFK had which is where your body doesn't produce hormones properly it did not affect his job these things can be treated properly and again I don't think epi- epilepsy or maybe even Parkinson's would either but we don't know because they're lying and hiding. Anyway, I just want to play all that just because it was a really good representation of all the different lies and spins that the left uses all the time in a nice two minute piece. So Amanpour is a hack. Totally. But it's good that she's a hack. Because she just goes by the book. With her hackery. Right. Being a political hack for dummies. She just goes right by the playbook. And there it is. Two minutes and 30 seconds. She took every progressive spin possible, which means they're throwing everything they can out there to see what sticks. That's what desperation looks like. 1-888-933-93. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
5: You're listening to
0: Mike Slater.
5: On the Blaze Radio Network. later
2: so i got a couple minutes here i want to share this poll here now we always make a couple disclaimers about polls uh first of all national polls don't mean anything at the end of the day they're fun to watch i guess and they're they're good for a a general thermometer for what's going on but they don't mean anything because we don't have a popular vote system in the country although we're moving that way but that's for a different day um The only polls that matter are state polls. So only pay attention to state polls. Then the only polls that really matter are polls that include Jill Stein and Gary Johnson. You got to look at the polls and and see if it's a two-way poll, two-way race or a four-way race. Two-way polls between Trump and Hillary don't matter because that's not what ballots will say in most states, right? So you can only look at polls that have Stein and, johnson in the mix because i mean they're, they're going to get you know four or five points or whatever and that affects the deal so only pay attention to four person polls third point only look at polls of likely voters you gotta look at this it's this usually on the fine print it's in w- tiny white letters underneath a, a poll that you see on tv look at likely voters now you can look at registered voters it's okay but likely voters is way better because who cares what people who cares what people think who aren't going to vote Right? Does, it doesn't matter. Like, if Hillary, if Hillary, I'm, I'm going to exaggerate here, but let's say Hillary has 80% of the support of registered voters, but Trump has 60% of support of people who actually vote. Like, what matters? The people who actually vote. So, registered voters doesn't, like, who cares? Now, how can we tell who's a likely voter? Well, you got to look for people who are who are enthusiastic and engaged about a candidate. So this is a poll a couple days ago, Washington Post, ABC News. This is percent of registered voters. And you're saying, well, hold on, Slater. I thought you said likely voters. Yeah, but this poll's about that. So a uh, poll of regist- or a percentage of registered voters, which you need to be to vote, who are very enthusiastic about the candidate. 33% for Clinton, 46% for Trump. Percentage of people who are following the election very closely, 45% for Clinton, 61% for Trump. And this is the kicker. People, registered voters who are absolutely certain to vote. 80% for Clinton, 93% for Trump. Absolutely certain. So, what does this mean? When you see a poll that's tied, or even something like Pennsylvania and Michigan where Clinton's up by 3 or 4 Four. I mean, that's still maybe a little too far, but definitely one or two points of Clinton's head. There is a lens that needs to be placed on top of that because they're asking people who may not vote or who are not absolutely certain that they will vote. I mean, you got, I'll just, I'll just use this poll. Right? 20% of Clinton supporters are not absolutely certain. They're not absolutely certain 20%. So that means 20%. I don't know. It could be raining outside. I'm not kidding could be snowing weather uh it could be a ah, busy day babysitter didn't show up whatever 20 percent that's a lot only 7 percent of trump supporters say they're not absolutely certain that they're going to vote which means most of them will hike mountains and traverse volcanoes to vote for donald trump so who wins then I mean, that, the active and engaged aspect of this is it, it's, at, it's at least tie goes to the runner situation, right? It's at least in a tie or close situation we will we'll give Trump the advantage. The enthu- the people talk about the enthusiasm gap. I mean, that's what that is. And Trump absolutely has it on his side. And really, all he has to do for the next 50 days is just keep up with the don't offend anyone uh, policy, which is not playing it safe. It's just doing what he's doing right these last couple of weeks. Go to inner city. Go to Mexico for the love of Pete To meet with the the president of Mexico. And then you have Hillary Clinton, who's now the name caller. You got Hillary Clinton coming out saying 25% of the countries are are deplorable. And irredeemable. Not just walking that back now, but it's already done. Look how uh, Trump flipped the script. The, The whole script in the last year was Trump's a name caller, a bigot, a mean guy. And Hillary's so presidential. These last month, maybe? Trump's been super presidential. Now Hillary's the name caller. And she can't stop. End of the day, people won't like that. Trump landslide. It's in full effect here. And uh, the media's starting to get it, which means they're going to get desperate. And, uh, well, we know what that'll look like. Mike Slater Show. Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
5: You're listening to Mike Slater.
0: Part of the next generation of talk radio on
5: the blaze radio network.
0: And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio only on the blaze radio network.
2: Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. One more hour together. That's it. We'll make it a good one, though. So Trump's. So uh, uh, This is good. Perfect example. Just hit me that this is what we're doing. Uh, first hour. An hour that one could listen to and suggest that there was a lot of praising of Donald Trump. Uh, not so much. Really mostly praising the people that he surrounded himself with. Stephen Moore, former uh, head of the Wall Street Journal editorial board. Larry Kudlow, Art Laffer, Reagan's uh, economic advisor. Uh, three pretty good guys, and, and those are his economic advisors. That's pretty – That's you can't do better than that. Now, I knew someone would send me a note and be like, oh, what about Peter Schiff? Okay, fine. Uh, maybe there's a few people that you would rather prefer, but he – Definitely didn't put any progressives on. He most certainly didn't even put any uh, mealy-mouthed, rhino, squishy, moderate people on his economic council. He put three super top-notch free-market economists to be his economic advisor. I think at the very least, that's something. It's a little bit reassuring if you're kind of on the yes side for Trump. Um, and it's it's got to be something even if you're on the no side. A little bit of praise, if you will. Now I want to be a little critical. Trump's daycare policy. Now there's two different aspects of this. I, I wish, I love, I love radio. Oh, Flip, can you remind me to uh, tell a story? Just say tell a story. I'll remember it next segment. Or maybe, maybe, maybe we'll end the show with. Um, so I love radio, but sometimes I wish I was on TV because on TV, it's visual. So I could say, okay, here's the two different aspects that we're going to talk about. Okay, and, and First, we're going to talk about this aspect. And now we're going to talk about this aspect. Two different aspects. It's hard to do that on radio because you just get confused. But there's two different aspects of the child care policy that Trump has proposed. First, you have the policy, which is... I mean, I don't don't want – I know people kind of are like, oh, you're just going to – yeah, it's not going to (laughs) happen. It's not going to pass Congress. A candidate can propose whatever specifics they want, but it's not going to end up looking like that. And the Constitution says nothing about the federal government doing anything about child care, so it's unconstitutional on its face. And anytime the government wants to make something affordable – Right. Anytime a politician says, Oh, yeah, we're going to make this more affordable, like, whoa, like more red flags better go up for you. So we can talk about the policy. But on the other side, you have the optics of it. You have the optics, you have the marketing, and it's brilliant because it invades the Democrats' space. And he did it, he unveiled it. With Ivanka, who's as wonderful and charismatic as ever. On the Dr. Oz show, whose demographic is middle-aged and stay-at-home moms. The day that Hillary was holed up in some undisclosed location, maybe dying. No one really knows, right? Like, that is unbelievable. I would love to confirm this, but I can almost guarantee you that Donald Trump, what day was this? This would have been like... Wednesday, I guess. I'm almost positive that Donald Trump was not planning on unveiling his childcare policy on Wednesday. But when Hillary Clinton collapsed and was off the campaign trail and he was basically running unopposed for a week, he's like, boom, now's the time to do it. I guarantee you that's how that went down. So the optics of it are off the charts amazing. And I want to talk a little bit about the Dr. Oz show coming up in a little bit. I know there's a lot of uh, political people, which you are because you're listening to the show right now. Who are like, Dr. Osho, that's stupid. No, 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 no. It's getting out of the echo chamber. It's absolutely brilliant. I'll talk about that later. But that? that's my first point. So you have the policy of it, and then you have the, the optics of it. The politics of it. Policy and politics. Politics is first class. The policy, meh. Once you look past the fact that it's unconstitutional and all that, it's fine it, it has free market elements to it right it kind of creates a health savings account like thing for child care which is tax-free okay you can deduct uh child care expenses so the average family of seventy thousand dollars will save something like eight hundred bucks or like what a year okay fine okay fine but he- here's here's the thing and this is just general so i'm using trump's daycare policy to make a general point here about economics Whenever a politician says, I'm going to make something more affordable, red flags go up. Then you look at their plan. And if their plan does not do something that first addresses why that thing is so expensive in the first place, then the plan is incomplete. So let's just focus on daycare. Has anyone bothered to ask why daycare is so expensive? Has anyone bothered to ask why it's so expensive and why it's getting only more expensive every year. And if a politician's plan doesn't address that fact, then the plan doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's incomplete. Like I said, so let's focus on daycare as with almost anything with high prices and the prices are getting up and up and up. It's expensive because there's a shortage. There's a shortage of that thing. Now, when there's a shortage of something, you got to ask why. Because there's no shortage of sneakers. There's no shortage of computers. There's no shortage of dry cleaners. There's no shortage of cell phones. There's no shortage of lettuce. So Economics 101, if there is a good or service that is in huge demand but low supply, And the supply is not increasing to meet the demand. It's almost always because government regulations are preventing the supply from increasing to meet the demand. So what is in the way of daycares and people? What's in the way of people from starting daycares? What's in the way of people? Listen, it's crazy expensive daycare. Like the average is a thousand bucks a month per person. So it's like a lucrative money-making enterprise here. Why, Why are people not getting in this business? Daycare is one of the most regulated industries in the country. Starting in 1962, they required that all daycare facilities are licensed. Why? In order to get federal money. And that's how nearly all regulations start. Right, They come to the industry and they say, oh, do you want some federal money? And they're like, oh, yes, please. Okay, perfect. First, stra- uh, attach this string to your left arm and then this string to your right arm and this one to your right leg and this one to your left leg and then you can have all the money you want. The only thing we need in return is complete control over every aspect of your business. That's how it works. Right after 1962, the number of daycare centers went down. the 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 year think about that that's that's why the year that daycare centers required uh, government licensing is the year that they went down so what kind of laws are we talking about what kind of regulations in california there's 236 pages of regulations for daycare centers go ahead start a daycare i dare you <laughs> give it a whirl Go start a daycare, 236 pages of regulations. Jeff Tucker went to go pick up his kid from daycare one day and he saw a bunch of construction crews around the playground equipment and he said, what's going on? And I said, ah, state came yesterday. They told us we need to reformat our drainage so we have to dig new drains around the playground. We have to reshape the yard. We have to spread out the climbing toys. We have to change the type of mulch that we use, and we have to add foam in certain locations around the playground. And the dad's like, "What? Like <laughs> everything was fine. Like I looked at the playground when b- before I decided to give you money and my kid. I checked out the playground. The playground's fine. Now uh, the state doesn't think it is anymore." So that's tens of thousands of dollars to pay some construction workers for what? All right, that makes the cost of daycare go up for everyone. The government regulates the type of high chairs, the size of toys, the type of silverware that's allowed, how infants must be placed when they're sleeping. The tiniest little things are determined and mandated by the government. And also that means that... Uh, the, They have to open up their doors to government regulators coming in and because they have to feel important about themselves, nitpicking every single last thing. Who wants to deal with that? It's nearly impossible for new uh, daycare centers to open up because A, no one wants to do it anymore because it's so burdensome and B, even if you wanted to, it's nearly impossible. On top of all this, the president last year proposed that all daycare providers have college degrees what like why if i wasn't so cynical i'd believe that maybe politicians are trying to make daycare more expensive because then they can swoop in and say oh vote for me we'll give it to you for free what if they just got out of the way it would be affordable People need to see how government makes everything more expensive. So again, when a politician rides in on their white horse and says, we're going to make something in this case, daycare more affordable, that's good, but you got to explain why it's so expensive in the first place. And then because it's always government start articulating how you're going to repeal certain regulations so that daycare will no longer be expensive. Don't just say you're going to make it more affordable by giving out more money repeal government so that it's not expensive in the first place. There was one preschool that was in a church and they were forced to shut down or the, the, the code enforcement guys, the state came by and said, Oh, we just passed a law. Um, you need your windows are now out of code. So they had to spend $38,000 for new windows, which is wild. Think about it. On Tuesday, the windows are safe and legal. And on Wednesday, they're unsafe and illegal. And and again, the bureaucrats just, they need to make themselves busy. So they just come up with this stuff. So that daycare couldn't afford it. They shut down. Which means demand goes up. Supply goes down. Prices go up and stay up. We made a video about this on our Facebook page. Uh, you can search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. We made a short video. Uh, it's the same principle with the EpiPen that we talked about a few weeks ago. Same thing. So, I don't mean to brush this off with Trump. Trump's plan, it's not perfect, right? Because it doesn't address why it's so expensive in the first place. Although Stephen Moore does say, you know, he's going to repeal a lot of regulations. Um, It's it's okay. (laughs) But the way to make it better is to get to the root of the problem. one 888 900 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater. So the Blaze
5: Radio Network, spread the word.
0: Mike Slater.
5: On the Blaze Radio Network.
0: 888
2: Mike Slater is on. Slater Slater. So I, I put a video up about this yesterday on our Facebook page. The last video we put up is now at one and a half million views. This one, no one's going to watch it. <laughs> it uh, like it's at 3,000 right now. It, it maybe we'll get to 10 because it's boring. It's about economics. No one cares. The other video was about Kaepernick. Um, but this one's actually important. and The Kaepernick one. Not so much. I don't know. It's one of those weird things, right? The one about a stupid football player gets one and a half million views. This one about economics, uh, two. Uh, So one last point on this, and then I want to chat about the story out of – I want to talk about Dr. Oz, really, and Trump going on the Dr. Oz show the other day, which is brilliant. It's all about getting out of the echo chamber, but we'll do that next. So a couple more regulations about daycares, and this is why it's so expensive. A daycare has to have 25 square feet for every kid. So you can't, it just messes up economies of scale, right? You can't downsize the building if rents go up. Uh, if you want to take on more kids, then you need to get a bigger building and that's way more expensive and maybe not, uh, not necessary based on how many kids you have, but it's all screwed up. Also, Massachusetts. Here's, this is as clear as I can get about how regulations affect things. Massachusetts state law: you have to have one adult for every three infants. So, if a daycare takes on six infants, two adults; nine infants, three adults. Right? So, it's it's a lot of adults there pretty soon, right? You can't take on that many kids, right? You got I mean, fifteen kids, you got five five adults working at one time, and that's a, that's a lot. Average cost of daycare: sixteen thousand dollars. A year. Mississippi. There's other differences between Massachusetts and Mississippi, of course. But Mississippi, it's one adult for every five kids. So if you have 15 kids in daycare, you only need three adults there. Massachusetts, you need five. Average cost of daycare in Mississippi, $5,000. Not 16000 5000 and again, the president says now that he wanted last year, he said every uh, daycare worker have a bachelor's degree, which like, what the heck is that about? <laughs> like, why would you, why would you need that? Why would you need a bachelor? I'm trying to think like, listen, if you have a bachelor's degree in whatever, early childhood development or whatever, and you want to open up a daycare and you want to, Advertise that, be like, hey, we we specialize in this because I have a bachelor's degree or whatever, and you want to charge more for that? That's fine. But the federal government should not create a mandate that every daycare worker needs to have a bachelor's degree. I mean, you're just what are you doing? You're changing diapers and maybe like colors and stuff. I mean, I, you don't need bachelor's degree for that. And again, if I was more cynical, I'd be saying that that they're uh, they want it to be expensive. They want daycare to be more expensive. So they can swoop in and say, hey, vote for me and uh, we'll give it to you for free, right? All those evil Republicans don't want your kids to have daycare and they hate women and all that. Well, no, just we want it to be inexpensive, too. But you got to get government out of the way so that people can meet the meet the demand. When daycare was completely free from government control, it was accessible to everyone. Now the government got involved. It's way too expensive. And that's just more justification for the government, for politicians to get even more involved and eventually just absorb daycare into their already stellar pre-K through 12 public school system, right? Why not, why not have the federal government just completely in charge of daycare? Why not? They're already doing such a bang-up job, K through 12. So again, the video, it's uh, super boring, but I don't know. You can <laughs> check it out, watch it if you want, spread it around. No one will watch it, but thought it was important to get out there either way. All right, so... Let's talk about the politics of this, though, because it's huge. We watched the Dr. Oz or on my local show. The Dr. Oz show happened to be on. This was on Thursday when my show was on. So I was like, listen, I know this isn't like good radio to play a TV show, but I've been looking forward to this Dr. Oz appearance more than any other part of the entire campaign. Here's why it is so hard for politicians to break out of the echo chamber. We're in the echo chamber. If you go to Drudge Report, you're in the echo chamber. If you care about politics and news at all, you're in the echo chamber. If you know who Colin Powell is, you're in the echo chamber. This is why the other day when the Colin Powell story came out, although very entertaining, it won't mean anything. Because 98% of people in America don't know who Colin Powell is. 98% of people in the country don't know who the vice president is. So they're not going to know Colin Powell. So it's not going to move the needle at all. And most things that go on inside the echo chamber don't affect outside. It's so hard to break through. This is why Trump in the beginning was such a a good idea for a candidate or the concept of Trump. Because he had 100% name recognition outside of that echo chamber because of The Apprentice and everything else. So how do you break out of this echo chamber? With a really good policy speech. No. You go on the Dr. Oz show. You go on daytime TV. Now, uh, when uh, Clinton did this in 92, playing the saxophone on Arsenio Hall, kind of the idea, right? And that, and then you have a bunch of politicians going on late night TV. That's one thing. That's okay. But to hit daytime TV, because who's the demographic there? The demographic daytime TV? Middle-aged women, stay-at-home moms? And to go there with Ivanka, who's amazing, and talk about your daycare policy and your women's health care policy? Every single woman watching that said, oh, well, he's not nearly as bad as everyone thinks he is. I kind of like him. Talk about that next. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
0: This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the
5: Blaze Radio Network.
0: is Mike Slater.
2: I want to share a story of three types of voters. Why? Uh, Again, I'm I'm going to harp again on this echo chamber. Two things we talk about often on the show when it comes to politics. 40-40-20. That's how our country is pretty much divided. You got 40% Trump, 40% Hillary, uh, and then 20% what? And obviously that's a broad brush. And so what about Stein and, and John... 40% Forty forty 40% entrenched on the right, 40% entrenched on the left, and then 20% have no idea what's going on. And some variation of that. Like politics? Yeah, I don't like politics. Like that kind of that's 20% of the country. There's no use, and Trump knows this, right? Really. There's no use going after the other side's 40%, really. Really hard to get that person. But if you can change the minds of the 20% of people and get them to vote, that's how you make a difference. So Trump did that last week when he won on the Dr. Oz show. Now, as I said on my local show, we played pretty much his entire appearance on the Dr. Oz show as it was happening. And, And a lot of people are like, why? Why'd you do that? Because that's probably the most influential thing that Trump has done in this entire campaign, is to go on the Dr. Oz show. Here's why. It reaches the 20%. Here's Abigail on Facebook. After watching Mr. Trump on Dr. Oz today... I decided I will be voting for him. The media has not been honest. He was very kind and has great ideas. And he will be a great role model. He has never drank any alcohol, smoked cigarettes, or done any drugs. That is amazing to me. I don't know anyone who has never done any of them things. End quote. She will vote. That's why it was so important for Trump to go on Dr. Oz because all these housewives and middle-aged women, which is not a great demo for Trump, are going to watch him. And he was super charismatic and funny. And Dr. Oz loved him. It was a big love fest. And then Ivanka comes up, and the walk. The takeaway was, oh well, he's not nearly as bad as everyone says he is. Like, what's the, what's the problem? He seemed, seemed fine. He seems great. Actually, I don't like that. That's the takeaway, and that's all he has to do now because the perception has been set up that he's such an horrible, horrible evil, awful person. That he just has to be like kind of charismatic and nice, and everyone's like, "Oh, what's, what's the problem?" Incredibly influential appearance on Dr. Oz show the other day. All right, that's story number one. Story number two. This is from the Financial Times. Hazelton, Pennsylvania. It's about two hours outside Philly. Small town, old coal town. Hazelton, little fun Hazelton. In fact, the third city in the world to have an electric grid. How about them apples? In 2000, 4% of the town was Hispanic. 16 years ago. Today, half. Most uh, Dominican Republic, either from or heritage from. 75% of the kids in the local schools are Hispanic. 75%. 16 years ago was like none. Now it's 75%. So it's an old Democratic town. Uh, and when I lived in the Tennessee, it was called Blue Dog Democrats, right? So conservative Democrats, but just Democrats just because, just because. But now the lines are split and you have Hispanics voting for Hillary, non-Hispanics voting for Trump. But here's the deal with that. Here's the asterisk. All the white people are going to vote. None of the Hispanics are registered to vote or will vote. So this whole article from the Financial Times is about how Hillary has zero ground campaign in in Pennsylvania or in, in the Hazleton and towns like it. No get out the vote campaign in Pennsylvania at all. In Pennsylvania, which Trump will probably now win, especially because of Hillary's comments on coal. Now, here's what's interesting about Hazleton. And this is this is what the Financial Times, they had two points. First, that Hillary has no ground campaign, but also this point. You would think because you have so many Hispanics in this town and, and you know, all the people who live there forever. And it's like you think there'd be a lot of animosity. There's not. They don't hate each other. Everything's fine. So when Hillary calls Trump's supporters a bunch of deplorable racists, the white people in Hazelton took offense to that. So well, hold on. We got a lot of Hispanics here. I'm not. I'm not racist. One woman. She's 73. She's lived there her whole life. She says every time I greeted, I see a Dominican. They greet me and they smile, and I smile back. Everything's fine. Financial Times interviewed two sisters. They own a jewelry store, third generation. One of the sisters was asked who she's voting for in November, and she said, oh, well, I guess I'm a deplorable. And the sister said, well, I'm her sister. I guess that means I'm deplorable too. And I sort of alluded to this a couple segments ago. The script has been flipped. Now it's Trump who's the presidential one, and Hillary's the name-caller. People taking offense to her deplorable remark and her name calling nonstop. All right, so that's unexpected voter number two. First, Dr. Oz, viewer. Second, old Democrats from Coal Country, Pennsylvania. Third person, GQ, interviewed undecided voters. And I want to read this one from a political reporter. In Washington, D.C., he's 42 years old. He says, I've struggled with this the entire election season. Some days I'm really tortured by it. And some days it's like laugh- laughable. But I've never really felt this way as an adult human. And it's, it's really messing with me. I cannot stomach Hillary Clinton. I just can't get with her. Maybe because I know too much. I find so much of her world hypocritical, reprehensible. I think the rest of the country sort of gives her a pass like, oh, she's always been attacked by Republicans. It's not a big deal. Email schmemail, And I'm like, what? It's a huge deal. And then I also obviously struggle with Donald Trump. The things I like about him are, well, I believe that sometimes you just have to blow it up to build it again. And I think that a Donald Trump presidency would do that. But just when I sort of get there with him, like, okay, all right. He says or does something that I'm like, no, I can't like saying, what do you have to lose to African-Americans? What are you doing? All right. So I think a lot of people stop there for a second. I think a lot of people are in that boat, right? I hate Hillary. I try. Maybe I could vote for Trump, but I keep doing stupid things. So I know. What do I do? How are people going to land? Well, first of all, if, if those people don't vote, that's good for Trump in certain states. Right. Because where that person would normally vote for the Democratic candidate, let's say in Ohio, Florida, states like that, and they don't, then that's a vote for Trump. So not voting is good enough, but I don't think they're just going to not vote. So this is what this guy says. He says, I think I would just have to sort of give into my chaos theory of Trump and just hope that he would surround himself with the right people, that it's not a total disaster. And that's what we talked about in the first hour about Stephen Moore, Larry Kudlow, and R. Laffer, his three economic advisors, which Trump does not make a big deal about. He's not doing it for show. Those are genuinely his economic advisors. I cover this stuff every day. So for me, four years of Trump, selfishly, sounds a lot more enticing just because it's going to be a dumpster fire. And a Clinton administration would be more of what we're seeing now, which is carefully orchestrated speeches, behind-the-scenes wealthy mcwealthy going in and out of the White House, and really horrible transparency with the press. Gun to my head, I would probably vote Trump because of my feelings about Hillary. And really, I just want to see what happens. That right there is how most of the 20% is going to finally make their ultimate decision. It's the I-just-want-to-see-what-happens vote. I don't like what's going on now. This is going to be more of the same. And really, I just want to see what happens. Maybe I needed to, to start off with this. We don't make rational decisions as human beings. We think we do. Right? We think we make rational decisions. We, we, we like to think we use logic all the time. We don't. We make wildly irrational decisions all the time. I can give you a million examples. Now, if it's true that we don't make rational decisions, and we don't, I don't have time here to give you a million examples, but I'll give you one. You go to the grocery store, and you see a sign, let's say uh, cereal, okay? You don't really want, you don't really need cereal, but you're kind of hungry, and you're like, oh, cereal sounds good. Uh, and you see uh sale, uh, uh, two for $5, and you buy two boxes of cereal. You don't need two boxes of cereal, but it says two for $5. You don't have to buy two. You can still buy one for two fifty but you buy two. Why? Because it says two for five. So you buy two. You don't have to buy the two. Why do you buy the two? It's irrational. You just do. Right? And that's just one silly example. There's a million things. So if we make irrational decisions all day long, why would we not also make them with our vote for president? Most people make decisions for really silly reasons. Like, I saw him on Dr. Oz today. Do you know he never drank alcohol or smoked cigarettes? That's cool. Or, Well, I don't know. I just want to see what happens. (laughs) That's why he's going to win. There's your 20% right there. And the biggest reason that most people in the 20%, not you, you're in the 40%, but most people in the 20%, why they're going to make that decision in the end, it's chaos. It's true. It's it. It's just to see what happens. One eight at eight. I'm not saying that's a good reason. But that's why he'll win. one 888 933 I got an amazing email the other day. Uh, one of my favorite emails I've ever gotten. I just thought it's worth sharing here. I'll do it next. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
5: This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. To Mike Slater. because I was on my local
2: show. There's three charities that that we help out throughout the year, uh, non-military related. There's another charity with military. Three non-military charities. Boys to Men Mentoring. It's an in-school mentoring program. uh, Meets with boys in middle school, right, who are going on the wrong path. Puts them on the right path. So it prevents them from going down the wrong way. Then uh, Solutions for Change which helps people who are at rock bottom, right? Families specialize in families. So adults with kids um, who are at their rock bottom and, and need help. And they do a thousand day program and it's amazing. And then the third is kitchens for good. So this is after people are, are emerging from their rock bottom recovery and they need something to do. So on my local show the other day, we talked to two people, hammer and Sylvia hammer spent three years in jail felon, and Sylvia uh, was taken away from her five kids for uh, abusing drugs. They hit the rock bottom. They went through this program and then they went to kitchens for good because they wanted to know what to do with their lives. 13-day program. They learn how to work in the back of a kitchen, uh, but they also learn the life skills, conflict resolution, how to take orders, show up on time, you know, get your job done, stuff like that. And then they go, they have interning programs and then they become chefs. And both these two people now want to own their own restaurant, which is amazing. So I got to go quick here, but my point is, if I met and if we all met these people at their lowest point, we'd say deadbeat, blah, blah, you know, loser, but a felon. But now you see them and they have purpose and they love life and they're creating and they're building and they're amazing family members and parents. And like, it's so awesome to see this process and where they are today. That's the background to what I want to share here. And one more thing, on my local show, every Friday at 11.45, we share a, story, a military story and we play taps. That's how we end the week. So I got this email Friday afternoon. Slater, I just found myself sitting in a Burger King in Lakeside, outside San Diego, eating a Whopper, when in the back of my head I heard taps playing. It sparked an emotional response in me, and I thought of friends and family who I've lost. Then I started looking around, wondering where it was coming from. I looked in the ceiling and there were no speakers and I looked around the room and there were no TVs. Then across the restaurant, I saw a domestically challenged man and his dog with a large radio on the table. Instantly. I realized it was Friday and this man was listening to Slater. I reflected on how different our lives were and what this, what experiences this man had. How did he get to where he is? What's his story? I love that. Cause everyone has a story. I could not help but walk over and introduce myself and shake the hand of another crusader. It turns out his name is Paul and his dog is Frank. He had a great sense of humor. And we talked for a good 10 minutes about how great the show is and about life. His quote is it's better than TV. You get to paint your own picture with his words. That's why I love radio. When I offered Paul some snacks I had in my car, he said, Nope, I'm not a beggar. During our, during our interaction, I noticed a tattoo on his forearm with a bullet in Vietnam. I thanked him for his service and we went our way. He was very excited for me to take his picture as I told him I would send it to the show. I don't know why I send this or why it affected me so much. Maybe it was Taps. Maybe it was a homeless man and his dog. Maybe it was a vet. We were just two guys in very different situations sharing a great show and listening to a very powerful piece of music in a Burger King in Lakeside. I love that story because we all have things in common. You just got to them. Look, look for a second and you'll find them. You have these two guys. One's homeless. One's not. Nothing in common. Well, Here's one thing that brought them together for just a minute. Taps. Turns out, both veterans. And they could bond over that for a minute. We all have those things. And to go back to, to Hammer and Sylvia, we would never have anything in common if I ran into Sylvia, who, who, was, who would have been high a couple of years ago, and Hammer, who was in jail. But gosh, when you just talk for a couple minutes, you see how much you really do and to see how much we all really share in common and principles that we agree on. Let's focus on those. Mike Slater Show on Facebook. We can hang out all week there. Slater Radio on Twitter, and we'll see you next Saturday. Hope you have a great rest of your weekend. Mike Slater Show,
0: spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.